0: Awesome, good morning, city church. How are you doing? doing well man uh they let the cat out of the bag early and told you I was coming, and so we decided not to sit right in front of me. That's okay um I've been here a lot actually um, quite a bit. It's not time to sit down just yet. Uh, it's feeling more and more like home, just being here. I mean, I'm here a lot just throughout the year, just for different events that Pastor Brent uh, kind of hosts for other pastors and that sort of thing, but I've also spoken here quite a few times, so if you've seen me before, um, good to see you again. If we haven't met, as Pastor Brent mentioned, my name is Brandon, and I lead a church called Slate Church alongside my wife, Emma, and she's only three months postpartum, and she's preaching this morning, and I think, uh, and that's, yeah, that's pretty impressive. I mean, I've never given birth, but I can imagine that that's, that's impressive. Um, Before we get started, I think that you guys just came into your legacy um, series. And I just want to thank you. I'll just tell you a little bit about our story really quick. So our church is uh, almost five years old. We're four and a half years old. Half of our church's existence has been in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, So, I mean, we all went through the same pandemic. But for our church, we were only about two years old when we went into it. And so we didn't know what to expect. Our roots weren't very deep. We didn't know who would stick with us. We were worried that we wouldn't even have a church uh, at all. I mean, I submitted my resume to Pastor Brent. I was like, can you guys hire me on at some point? Like, what's going to happen to our church? And, uh, and so there was a lot of unknown. And of course, as a young church, uh, it's funny, our kids are here today. And on the way here, they're like, are we going to the New Slate Church? And I was like, Uh, no, we're going to my friend's church. And they're like, okay, but like, is that our new church? mummies speaking at our old church. I'm trying to figure out like why they're talking like this. And I began to realize it's because in the last five years, two of which have been completely online and in our living room, uh, that we've been in nine different locations for our morning, lo- morning location. And so everywhere they go, they think they're just going to a new slate church. So we like pass by a theater, they're like, that's a slate church. We pass by a hotel, they're like, that's a slate church. pass by a club, they're like, that's a slate church. No matter where we go, they're like, are we going to this slate church? They're like, these kids are going up with such a skewed idea of what church is, but it's also awesome because they think church is everywhere. Now, they came here and they're like, so is this, like, is this the new church? I'm like, no, not quite. And so that's kind of the story of our church is we've just been kind of nomadic and a little bit homeless as a church. We've been in our, our latest location, the longest since September. We've been there for, I guess, 10 months now, and that's the longest we've been in a location since we started. God's been doing lots of great stuff, lots of great things happening in our church, but one of the really cool things that came out of the pandemic is a Bible college in our area set, uh, approached us about purchasing their property. And through a lot of conversation over the course of three months, we had to get together a million dollars in order to purchase this as a down payment. And uh, I'm just, I'm really thankful for City Church because I feel like I'm a part of the family, but I'm also thankful because you guys contributed to um, that amount and allowed us to help uh, buy that property so that we're no longer homeless, but we actually have a place to call home. And so I just want you to know, like, this legacy series that you guys do, like, it has faces and names attached to it, and I could bring people up on the stage here that just your, your generosity will impact for years to come. And so, Pastor Brent, thank you so much for you and Nicole and your generosity towards us, but also City Church. Thank you for contributing to, uh, yeah, help us, help our kids and not be so confused about where our church is located. Okay. Um, we're gonna speak, I, it looks like I, I took some time, so I've got, I only have 25 minutes. Uh, to talk to us about the good life. That's the name of the message today. Take some extra time. Some extra time. An hour and an hour and five is okay. <laughs> so something's been happening to me over the pandemic, and I don't know if it's been happening to you, but the last time I was here, I was probably a little bit more excited. I was probably a little bit more um, animated. And I've just, like, I'll probably get there again, but I'm like, I'm trying to figure out the world that we live in. And uh, I want to read for us a verse... Uh, out, of the, out of the scripture, out of First Peter chapter two. And then I just wanna break it down. I wanna, to, basically today, some of my goal is to set for us a Christian worldview or at least a way to see the world in a very confusing place that we find ourselves. And so in 1 Peter chapter two, verse 11 and 12, it says this, Peter's writing to the church in Asia Minor, which would be modern day Turkey, and they're experiencing persecution. And he says this, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that although they, can, they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's pray. God, we pray this morning... Um, as we have just celebrated Canada Day, and, and again, with all of these mixed kind of emotions and, and things that we're dealing with as a nation, in such an, such an early nation, in such, in, in such few years, we're dealing with so many different things going on. And God, today, we just pray for our nation. We pray for this country that we live in. Uh, we thank you that we get to live in, in a country that allows us to gather here on Sunday morning and worship you and praise you and glorify your name. God, we also just pray for, as we live in this world that we call Canada, but also this Western civilization that we find ourselves, that God, you would allow us a bit of a a spiritual roadmap uh, to be able to figure out how to live as Christians in this world that we live in today. God, guide us, we pray. Um, Be with us. Help us to sort through the confusion that we sometimes experience. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. So that... The task that I want to bring us on this morning is to talk through what does it look like to actually live the good life? Uh, what, what does it look like to actually live such good lives amongst the pagans that although they, can, they accuse you of wrongdoing, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us? Now, if you're in the room and you consider yourself a pagan, um, Welcome. We're so glad to have you. And you're probably wondering like, why would you call me a pagan? Pagan in, in, in this scripture essentially means those who don't believe in God. I mean, it might seem sound a little harsh for some of us here in Canada, where we're very politically correct and we're like, well, you can't just call people pagans. Um, I do, I call all of my friends that don't know Jesus pagans. Uh, when I'm hanging out with, with church people, my, my 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 kids are like, "You're hanging out with slate people." When I'm hanging out with people that don't don't go to our church, like my neighbors, we like, my kids are like, "Are we going to hang out with the pagans tonight?" And so that's kind of like that's how we talk in our household. I don't know how. Of course not, but but what we're talking about, what we're talking about is like, how do we live in the world that we live in today? I I don't know. Do you, do you live in the same world that I live in? Where like it's confusing Uh, i'm not that old but like i only have to talk to my grandparents who i lived with my entire lives to know that things aren't normal right now um over the past couple of years we've been dealing with issues that i didn't I, i didn't even know were issues um and now that i know that they're issues i don't know how to deal with these issues through the past couple of years being locked up in my house, I'm like, I, I don't know how to deal with with just like being online. Like the only place I could go to connect with other people for a little, uh, a period of time, I felt like I couldn't go because it was just like people in my church even just like arguing with one another, not knowing how to get along and, and disunity being shown in the church. And, and I, just, I just don't know what to do in the world that we live in today. See, I grew up um, in Coburg, Ontario. Does anybody know where Coburg is? It's got a nice beach. Um, if you stay out of the water, if you stay out of the water, you won't get sick. So um, other than that, it's a nice place. It's a it's a beach town. And uh, I knew that my life was a little bit different because my parents told me it was different, but there was also cues that we were, we were a little bit different than the rest of the families. And some of the cues were... Um, I remember as a 90s kid, uh, or at least I grew up like kind of some of my significant years were in the 90s, uh, one of the best days in school for so many people would be when they'd roll out this big tube TV on a cart and they'd roll it into the classroom and all the kids would be like, this is the best day ever. Because what it meant is that we were probably going to watch Magic School Bus or something else and the teacher was going to be really, really like, like just kind of laxed. I don't know. They're probably just having a bad day, uh, probably woke up with a headache. They're like, you know what? Miss Frizzle uh, can teach all the, uh, all the kids today. Now, I knew I was different because as soon as that tube TV got rolled into the classroom, what I learned about myself was that, uh, that I, I wasn't as ex- excited. And the reason I wasn't as excited is because my parents told me when that TV comes into the classroom, you walk out of the classroom. Reason being is we don't know what they're about to show on the TV. It could be Harry Potter and everybody that just laughed, these are the people we have to pray for in our church today. <laughs> Can everybody reach out to somebody that just laughed with one hand and just begin to pray that the sorcery would leave them in Jesus' name? <laughs> no, 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 but my, my parents were trying to protect us and they were trying to protect us from the world. And, and, and one of the things that we knew as kids growing up, my brother, my sister, and I, is that we were different than the world that we lived in. We were, we were good kids and we wanted to avoid bad things. And I think that if we looked back on... The, the view, the world's view, Canadians' worldviews on Christians um, up until a few years ago, we might actually be seen as the moral uh, do-gooders in society. We, we might be actually seen as the people that, that do good things. We avoid bad things. They kind of are a little bit strange, but, but they're good people. Um, we can all picture Ned Flanders on The Simpsons, a show that I was never allowed to watch growing up because, again, we were good Christian kids, right? Anybody watch Simpsons growing up? Didn't have a Christian upbringing, did you? <laughs> I referenced the Simpsons. I don't know why Simpsons is so much on my mind recently, but I referenced them in a service the other day and everybody looked at me like I, like, I like, was saved from a life of paganism. And I was like, I'm just refer- it's fine, it's just the Simpsons. But we might think of Ned Flanders and the way that the world looks at the Christians and they go, well, those guys, they're boring. They're kind of a little narrow, they're square. Um, they're boring, but they're good people. And as much as they're good people, I'm going to have my fun, and then I'll get my life together some other time. And this is really how a lot of us kind of picture the world seeing us even today, that at least they're good people. They're a little strange. They go to church on Sundays. They get dressed up in their suits, and they're, they're button-ups. And, like, they're, they're a little bit like Ned Flanders, but, but they're good people. I, but as much as they're good, I'm, I'm just going to have my fun but we've had a little bit of a change in society recently where we're like, I don't know if you, you realize, but, but we're, not, we're not actually in the same place we were 20 years ago. We're not in a place where the world is looking at us as Christians like the Ned Flanders like, yeah, they're boring, but at least they're good. Now we live in an era and a time where all of a sudden the things that we hold dear to us and the morals that we hold dear to us and the things that we, we, we think about and the things that we hold fast to and the things that we read throughout Scripture aren't seen as good things, but they're actually seen as immoral things. No longer are we the Ned Flanders in society, but we're actually the people that are seen as a threat to the world's morality. And that's something for some of us that have grown up just trying to do the good things of God that can be really confusing because we live in a world that we think doesn't serve God, but at least it sees us as good. But that's not the world that we live in anymore. We now live in a world that actually sees us as wrongdoers. Now, I'm not about to speak on topics that are not mine to speak on as I'm a guest at a church. But all we have to do is think of topics like sexuality. To go, are we, are, we the, are we the moral do-gooders in society anymore? All we have to think about is topics like abortion. Came up with Roe versus Wade last week. Something that I'd addressed with our church because of, I was like, I don't, I don't, where is our church on this? But these are things that we can look at and we can go, you know what? It might just be that the world doesn't see the church as being good anymore. And that can be a really scary place to be because, at least for me and my family growing up, the way that we set an example for the, the world around us was we left the class when the tube TV got rolled in. And that showed everybody that, hey, we're distinct from the world. But what happens when the world no longer sees you as good? Because that's the world that we're living in right now. Pastor Brent said, hey, come preach an encouraging message. <laughs> Anybody feeling encouraged so far? Your neighbors hate you. <laughs> your, your pagan neighbors hate you. okay. <laughs> I've got a lot to unpack if I'm going to turn this into an encouraging message. <laughs> okay. Um, and you know what? The proportions of this, of this stool versus this uh, table are a little off, so I'm going to just stand. Um, I want to read for us again. Remember, this is Peter. This is the Peter in which God, I mean, yeah. That's a five-minute detour. Let's not go there. This is the same Peter that Jesus chose and said, Peter, I'm I'm going to call you Simon. I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. This is a Peter that's writing to a church in Asia Minor. Again, modern day Turkey that was being persecuted. And he says this. This is what he has to say to them. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Now, a lot of us wouldn't have picked up on this the first time, but hopefully we're picking up on it now. He says this to them, live such good lives amongst the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. See, here's the key to reaching a world that actually doesn't see us as as being that great anymore, is living such good lives That although those who don't believe in Jesus accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. The first thing that we have to recognize in the world that we're living in today is that we are now foreigners in the world that we live in. In Western civilization, there's been a co-opting of thought, and there's been a co-opting of of, of belief, there's been a co-opting of values, and no longer are, are, are our ideals the ones that everybody's searching for. Kindness, maybe, but not kindness in the way that the Bible defines it. Goodness, maybe, but not in the way that goodness is defined in the Bible. And, and we, what we have to realize is that in the midst of all of this, what we ought to do is we ought to still live such good lives that although those around us might not believe in Jesus, they might see our good lives and glorify God in the way, on the day he visits. So, what do we do in a world that doesn't see us as the moral do gooders anymore? We live such good lives. We continue to raise our families in good ways. We continue to teach them right from wrong. It doesn't mean having them leave the classroom when the tube TV comes in, which I I, I wish that our public system, we could say that there were flat screens that got rolled in now, but there's still, I imagine, tube TVs. But what we ought to do is we ought to continue to live good lives. But he gives us caution before he tells us to live good lives, and he says this, to abstain from all sinful desires. What well, we have to recognize in the world that we live in today, and um, the term Babylon and, uh, is a term used all throughout Scripture. Babylon is this idea. Um, it's not just used as a physical place, although Babylon throughout Scripture, if you've read all throughout um, the Bible, is a, is a place. It's a place where Israel was exiled and they were in captivity to Babylon. But if you read the Christian writers and the, the writers of Scripture, all, all from the Old Testament all the way to the very end of the New Testament, you start to see that Babylon becomes this archetype for this world that, that people of God and the family of God live in. And as these, this family of God lives in Babylon and they wrestle with all these different things, that they actually, they actually need to find new life in Babylon. And the thing about us is that sometimes I think we think that, that, that because our country was founded on Christian ideals and Christian morals and Christian um, ideas and Christian values and all the rest, that we just live in a Christian nation. But the problem is, is that the further that we get from these Christian ideals, the further that we get from God, the more we, we are living in, in a Babylon-type existence. And this is what Peter's writing to. Is he's saying, listen, as foreigners and exiles in the land— which just means that spiritually this is not our home. That one day, yes, God's gonna establish his, his reign here on earth and everything else, but he's, he's writing to people that, that lived in Asia Minor. They were born in Asia Minor, they, they, um, they did life in Asia Minor, but they met Jesus while they were in Asia Minor. And so when he's referring to the foreigners and exiles in that land, he's not calling them foreigners and exiles like they came from a different place. He's saying, now that your spiritual heritage is with God, I'm gonna encourage you in a few different ways to live amongst those who don't believe in me or don't believe in Jesus. And what the first thing that he attacks is not living such a good life, but he actually talks about abstaining from sinful desires. It's interesting because whether or not the world wants to agree with whether or not what God calls sin and what he doesn't call sin, Peter's encouraging, encouraging the people that if we want to see a world return to Jesus, that we need to still understand and decipher what is sin and what isn't sin. Does that make sense? I, I find it interesting because over the past couple of weeks, this is kind of our situation in, uh, that we find ourselves in. As we're, in like, we're in a university town. Um, our, our population will fluctuate in Waterloo region by like, somewhere between sixty and 80,000 um, people based on whether or not school is in or out. So right now, it's the summertime, and so there's not a lot of students, and so um, they're, you know, working co-ops or whatever else, and so our, 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 our city is constantly fluctuating by thousands and thousands of students. And for a lot of people, like, I, I, I led um, student ministry for quite a few years, and it was out of student ministry that we launched Slate Church, and I just remember the common refrain being like, you can't launch a church based on students, like they don't have any money. And I was like, well, they have money for like Starbucks. And they seem to have money to like, go to a bar every Friday night. And they seem to have money to like, stop and grab a latte every morning, like they must have something. And I remember this like kind of being the common refrain is that like, hey, you can't build a church on students. Well, some of the other lies that I've heard about students is that, like, students don't care about morality, or students don't care about Jesus, or students just, like, like that generation is kind of lost. And one of the things that's really interesting to me is over the past um, few weeks, um, the topics that we've been uh, kind of going over as a church have to do with things like sexuality. I mean, it's, it's a big topic. Um, in the month of, of, of June, it's, it's a I don't know if you realize, but that's a pretty big topic for our world. When Roe vs. Wade hit, like we decided to talk about abortion in our, in our church. And, and as we've been talking about these things that I think sometimes we assume that young people, or even just our neighbors or friends, don't want to hear about, it's been really interesting to us in our context. But we've seen the most salvations that we've seen since we relaunched, since the pandemic. In three weeks, we've seen 30 to 40, 40 salvations talking about things that really I thought our world didn't want to hear about. That's exciting to me. And sometimes I wonder if we've tried to make Jesus so palatable for people that we've actually kind of washed him out in our our trying to reach culture. If, If our abstaining from sinful desires has become like, sin's not that bad for you, but... But for me, I'm going I'm to try to avoid it. If somehow, when it comes to sin, we don't, we don't want to use the S word because it's such a bad word in our culture, that our culture doesn't even know what we're about as a church. Like, like I wonder sometimes if, if people just look at us as a church and they go like, like, what are they about? What do they care about? Because the first thing that Peter says is that if you're living in a nation that does not believe in who I am or does not care who I am, the first encouragement he gives to us is abstain from sinful desires. Can I just encourage us today, church, to not trivialize sinful matters in our lives? Like, I I was scared for a few years because I was told that students do not care about Jesus. I was scared to mention the word sin. It would just be like, hey, like, when you do bad things, Jesus came to die for those bad things, and people are like, "What bad things you know like <laughs> because somebody defines like the bad thing that they did was they didn't approach the girl in the club on Friday night, right And the other person defines bad thing as like, "Well, I stayed in the class when Miss Frizzle was trying to teach us, and we got all of these different definitions of bad things, and we go in a, in a society that is that is kind of um, that is um, uh, moral, morally subjective, we 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 need to actually turn to Scripture and begin to ask God, like, God, what are your decrees? God, what are the things that matter to your heart? God, what, what are the things that you want me to abstain from? And what I want to tell you is that in a world that we think that doesn't want to know about our morality, we don't need to shout at them about what to do or what not to do, but we need to do, know what we need to abstain from. And I think for some of us, like like the encouragement today is like, Let's live different lives than what the world is living let's, let's like kind of look through the shows that we're watching on Netflix and ask ourselves, like, is this like adding to my salvation? Is this adding to my sanctification story? Or is it taking away from what God's trying to do inside? Let, let's think about the conversations that we're having with one another. Let's think about the water cooler conversations about our boss that we don't like at work. Let's start to analyze, are we abstaining from that sinful desire of greed? Are we abstaining from that sinful desire to, like, to, 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 to um, inebriate ourselves or to use potions to move us from one emotion to another. What are we doing with our sinful desires and is it setting an example for the world around us? Because for me, I thought just avoiding the topic of sin was what was gonna bring my friends and family to know who Jesus is. And what Peter's suggesting is it's actually knowing what sin is and avoiding that that's gonna set an example for those that don't know Jesus. Sin's a pretty big deal, apparently, to the Bible. I keep reading it. I can't, I can't read through the Bible without, without coming on this topic of sin. So this is the first thing that he says. He says, abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. If there's one thing that I don't need more of um, today, after being in the same world, in the same place that you f- have found yourself over the last couple of years with the pandemic and social media and just whatever else, is I don't need more war going on inside of Brandon. I I don't need more conflict going on. You know, social media used to be a place where we, like, compared ourselves to other people. We would always hear this phrase, like, don't compare your life to someone else's highlight reel because that's all they're posting on social media. And that used to be the biggest thing that we were scared of when it came to social media. Now we have this other fear that we're going to be persecuted on social media or canceled on social media or somehow say the wrong thing on social media. And we all just want to get away from social media, but we're still so addicted to social media. And I guess the thing is, is that there's enough things in the world today that are waging war against my soul that I don't need to allow my not abstaining from sinful desires to contribute to what I'm already experiencing and the world that I find myself in today. Okay, second thing. Let's talk about this good life, because that's kind of the encouraging part, isn't it? Because again, I, I, I want, like... The reason that I'd follow my parents' directions and go out to the hallway when I was a kid was because I wanted my kids to know, or my friends, to know who Jesus was. Like, I wanted to not be in there because I wanted them to know, like, like hey, why don't you watch the same things that we watch? Well, it's because I'm a Christian. But today, the rules have changed. And so Peter goes on to say, he says, don't just abstain from sinful desires, but, but you need to replace that with something. Remember this, this thing that Jesus talks about, right? He he says, hey, when somebody's set free from a demon, he says, be careful because that demon will go around, and these are scary topics to be talking about on an encouraging Sunday morning, okay? But listen, he says, this demon's gonna go flying around, and then he's gonna come back, and he's gonna see that your your life is void. And what he's gonna do is he's gonna go and find seven more evil spirits, more evil than the first, and bring them back in your life. And I'm like, Jesus, what are you talking about? And it's interesting because even a guy like Charles Duhigg, who wrote a book called The Power of Habit. Has anybody ever read The Power of Habit? It talks about this idea that you can't just exchange out a bad habit for nothingness. You can't just like get to the end of your night when you're trying to correct this bad habit of eating chips and just like stop eating chips and think, okay, that prison break's gonna be enough. No? Prison break's not a show we're watching anymore. It's like the last show I ever watched. It was like 10 years ago. Okay, so prison break's not that cool anymore. I get it. But what he says is he says, like, when there's a void, you'll just replace it with another habit. It's interesting. It sounds kind of scriptural. It sounds like maybe something Jesus would say in different words. And Peter's getting on the same thing. He's saying, listen, you can't just abstain from things, but you need to replace it with something. And what we need to do is not just, not just try to avoid sin, but we need to replace it with something worth chasing, And so what he says is he says, dear friends, live such good lives amongst the pagans that although they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. A guy named N.T. Wright, um, who had a pleasure of meeting actually this past summer, I got a picture with him. Um, And the way that I got his picture was I told him, and this is a true story, Justin Bieber had come to our church a few years ago. And he walks in, and I never bothered Justin Bieber for a photo. Um, just not that interested. I'm not interested in celebrity. And so I approached N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright's probably one of, one of the greatest living theologians. And so I was at this event, and I walked up to him, and I said, uh, uh, N.T., I don't know what I called him. I probably called him Sir. I was so scared. Sir, um, I have to tell you a story. Justin Bieber came to our church, and I didn't bother him for a photo. Um, but could I bother you for a photo? And he said, if you, did, if you denied Justin Bieber a photo, you, mo- you most certainly can have a photo with me. And so anyway, I have this, I should have brought it. This is what he says. He says, what you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, And I'll add, based on 1 Peter, by suffering for doing good, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable, until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. What N.T. Wright's trying to get at is he's saying, listen, the things that we do with our life matter. Not just in the next life, but also for now. Not just now, but also for the next life. I wanted to know what Peter meant by good, and so I looked up the, the Greek word for good. I was like, what, what, what is he referring to? And this is what my Greek dictionary said. Good means the opposite of bad. So, let's read it this way. Live such not bad lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Jesus is getting at something very similar in Matthew chapter five, verses 13 to 16. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Church, I've got more I could say. I'm trying to like piece down something that was probably prepared for much longer than this. But what I'm trying to do in our own church and I I imagine is happening here as well is I'm trying to figure out in the world that we live in today how can we make Jesus famous once again? Like, I'm trying to figure out with all my might. I didn't get into pastoring so that I could be worried about whether or not I'm going to get canceled around the next topic that hits our world. I didn't get into pastoring so that we could have division within our church. I didn't get into pastoring so that we could spend two years in our living rooms at home trying to convince people this is the way that church is supposed to be done. I I didn't get into pastoring for all these things. And yet, on the other side of it, I'm watching a world that seemingly wants nothing to do with it. And as I watch this happen, I don't know about you, but there's this gnawing that happens in my heart and I go, God, like, have we missed out? Are we gonna have to wait until this thing completely burns down to the ground before something changes? And all I hear is that we're in this post-Christian nation and, 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 and the world is done with Christ and, and that our, our country doesn't care about who he is and my friends and family are, don't care about what my, my faith in Jesus is. And can I tell you that all of that is, is not true? Could I tell you that that the best days for the church are not behind us? Can I tell you that that the best days for Canada can actually be in front of us? Can I say that instead of viewing ourselves as a post-Christian nation, why don't we start picking up our socks and start seeing this as a pre-Christian nation? I wanna start asking better questions of ourselves that say, God, even though I live in this world that seemingly wants nothing to do with you, how can you use me to be a part of the solution and showing Jesus in the lives around me? How can we make sure that my neighbor comes to know who you are? How can I make sure that my cousins know who you are? going to make sure that you are made known in my workplace. See, 15 years ago, I was working at a, at, a, at a company, General Electric, just a small company. And I remember working there and I was just about to become a pastor. I was, I was in school and I was working my summer co-op and I looked around and these people that I was working with, they seemingly didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Everybody was working for the weekend and it bothered me. And I, and I knew my dad was kind of like running, running that part of the company at the time. My dad told me, like, don't do anything to mess this up. It will look bad on me. So I was like, yeah, sure, Dad, no problem. And so what I did is I started a Bible study. I was like, certainly he won't get in trouble for this. I started inviting everybody to it. I started inviting the executives to it. I started inviting the HR manager. I didn't know that that was a problem. I started inviting the, the leads on the line. I started, and I invited all these people. And what we would do is once a week, we'd get in a lunchroom, and I would have these execs sit down that were Christians, and sit there. And uh, the HR manager was there, and the supervisors were there. All these people that called themselves Christians. And I was like, I was like, like felt like I was a part of the underground church. I'd be like, we'd be in conversation. I'd be like, Do you know any more Christians? And they'd be like, Don't tell anybody I told you this, but I think the HR manager is a Christian. I'm like, Okay. So I go up to the HR manager and I'd like draw the the line in the sand. Anybody know this, the Jesus fish? And they'd draw it back and be like, okay, there's a safe person. (laughs) This is corporate America. This is corporate Canada. It's like, we got to be careful here. Stealth, stealth Christians. And I would gather all these people as a 17-year-old in a lunchroom once a week on Mondays. And I'd bring them in there, and this little 17-year-old would get up in front of them. They'd all be sitting in the lunchroom, like, hey, what's this Bible study about? And I'm like, guys, you're not doing anything to reach these people for Jesus Christ. And they'd be like, you're right, we're not. And I said, like, and I was so young. Like, I just assumed, like, nobody's doing anything. This is what I was, we got to pray for these people to come to know who Jesus is. And we do this week after week after week. And after I left, I think it stopped and whatever else. And and I'm so encouraged because a couple of weeks ago, my dad said, you'll never guess what happened, but a couple of the people that you were meeting with have started the Bible study back up. They're trying to figure out how we can reach a world for Jesus once again. What I can say is that, like that fuel that, that, that fueled Brandon before he became a pastor is sometimes what I'm tempted to give up on right now. And I think for some of us in the room, we received Jesus years ago and we were on fire for God and we thought, God, I wanna see my friends come to know who you are and I wanna see my family come. I want my coworkers to know. But after a little while, those sharp edges of evangelism in our souls started to wear off because we started to think, well, nobody really wants to know who he is. And can I just encourage you to light the fire again? Can I encourage you to allow God to, 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 to light a spark within you again for your friends and for your family? Can I, I encourage you to again to not forget your first love? Can I encourage you again that while we might live in a world that doesn't know who Jesus is, we've been given a roadmap for people to know who Jesus is, and it's pretty simple. Abstain from sin and live a good life. And I don't know about you, but that's something I can do. When something new hits social media that I don't know what to do with, I can abstain from sin and I can live a good life. When my friend approaches me with something that I don't know how to deal with this world thing that's going on and the nuances of this conversation, one thing I do know how to do is to abstain, abstain from sin and live a good life. When somebody comes to me and they're approaching me and they think that what I believe in is, is false and actually immoral in their eyes, you know one thing I know what to do is I know how to abstain from sin and live such a good life. And what I can encourage you to do is don't give up on living a good life. Don't give up on searching God's heart for what is sin and what isn't sin. God is not confused by the times that we live in, even if we're confused. Even if we feel like we're living in chaos, he's the God of order. Even if we believe that we're living in a time of confusion, he's the God of clarity. Even if we feel like we're living in a pagan world that doesn't believe in him, he still has a remnant that is, is, is right here, ready to rise up and show the world the love of Jesus Christ and lead a whole bunch of people back in relationship with him. See, I... I, I don't... I don't wanna be a pastor that's only excited about what Jesus is doing if the people around me seem to be excited about him or even think good of him. I I wanna be the type of Christian that even when things just seem to be hitting the fan, that there's a resolve deep within me that God is gonna do something new, that God is gonna do something great again. For us in this room today, what we have the opportunity to do is we have the opportunity to, to make a decision in our hearts. Say, God, like, maybe, maybe we've been failing on that abstaining from sin piece, and, and we just know the stuff. Like, I don't, I don't need to tell you what this stuff is. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict, not me. We're going, God, actually, you know what? Me not abstaining from sin is what's getting in the way from me shining your light. Or maybe for some of us, we just we've given up on trying to live a good life because it doesn't seem like good can be defined anymore maybe today we're going, God, I've stopped trying to live a a life that shines the light of Christ and I need your strength. So can we stand up in this place? Wherever we find ourselves, can we just bow our heads and close our eyes? If you're watching online, why don't you just do the same or do whatever's safe? If you're watching in your car, keep your eyes on the road. do I wanna pray, two separate prayers. The first prayer is this. If you're here today and, and maybe it's just convicting to hear that, that abstaining from sin is actually like, it's a way in which we show those around us who Jesus is. Maybe in your life, it's just become a bit laxed because you're going, well, God's forgiven me. Paul addresses us. He says, should we go on sinning because Christ forgives us? Of course not but allow the power of Christ, allow the strength of Christ to move through you. So I wanna pray for those of us that are struggling with abstaining from sin. And I wanna pray for those of us that have just lost our joy and our zeal for life. That idea of living the good life, it's just like right now things are bland, things look gray, things just, nothing's doing it for us. We've allowed the joy of our salvation to kind of leave our bodies, so to speak just going, God, I need, I need the joy of Christ in me once again. So if that's you, whether or not it's been a struggle with abstaining from sin or you just need the joy of Christ to just enter back in, if that's you, can you just raise a hand in this place? just want to know who I'm praying for. Yeah, all across this room. Jesus, for those that are raising their hands right now, God, we just recognize that God, it can be a confusing world to live in. God, when we don't know how to sort our own souls, it's hard to fight for the souls of this world. But God, thank you that you've given us a pretty easy roadmap that when we don't know what's going on, you're there to lead us. You're there to give us strength. God, I pray for those of us that are struggling from abstaining from sin. God, show us that this is not an individual battle. In fact, it's a battle that you fight on our behalf, that you will provide the strength we need to abstain from those things. But God, for those of us that have lost our joy, we've lost our passion, we've lost that zeal for life. God, I pray that you would flood us with your mercy and with your grace. May you flood us with with a vision and a picture for what our lives can look like as we are totally abandoned to you. So, God, in this place right now, God, we're just praying for renewal, not even just in our world. Renewal in our world will come when there's renewal happening in us. And so God, I right now I pray for renewal in our own souls, renewal in those dark places that we've closed off from you. God, may you be glorified in our lives, we pray. I just want to pray for those of us that maybe have never made a decision to follow Jesus. It's we use moments like this not because this is the, not because this is the be all and end all. I mean Making a decision to follow Jesus isn't just a decision made in private, it's meant to be lived out in public. But sometimes what we need is one minute where we can sort out what God's doing in our souls and to go, you know what? I think I wanna follow this Jesus. I think I want a good life with Jesus. So if you're here today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, but you're going, you know what? Today seems like a good day to point the compass of my life in the direction of Christ. If that's you, And you're just going, hey, can you pray for me today, Brandon? Wherever you find yourself, can you just raise a hand if that's you, you wanna make a decision to follow Jesus? With every head bowed and eye closed. Amen. Let's pray for anyone making that decision. Jesus, I thank you today for those that might be making that decision online or here in the room, that God, you you would just work in their lives in such a real way. God, making a decision to follow you is is sometimes the easy part. And while our lives might not change tomorrow, one thing that we can have assurance of is that your Holy Spirit will go with us tomorrow into whatever we face. So God, today as those that are making this decision, God, make this decision. That God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would come in, that boldness would come in, that God, um, uh, peace would come in, joy would come in to their lives, and may you lead them from this day forward. God, may they know that they are not alone in this world, but that the creator of this universe goes with them. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Come on, can we celebrate anyone who's making that decision? Let's worship.